If you happen to be on the NX-01 on December 27th, 2154, do not smell anyone's bunk here on Feature Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. I know I get real sweaty when I'm horny too, so. <laughs> New co-host, Peter. So Peter, uh, before we get into talking about this episode, you have informed me, you have a story, and if I've learned anything through the years about not only your stories, but our, our audience's enjoyment of them, I must only ask, please, what is it you want to tell us today? I had off the presses, man. I had one of my informants send me an Instagram link, which I just put up on the Facebook page. I don't know if you saw it or not. Live check. Live check would go on. Now, when you think Sandusky, Ohio, you think Cedar Point, obviously, right? Obviously. Until I just saw this fucking thing and whatever little bullshit mall is in Sandusky, Ohio, there is an entire retail space dedicated to Star Trek uniforms and Star Trek shit. What and this the doesn't... fuck <laughs> is this? It looks really nice. It looks like it, it could does. be a Target. That looks like a Macy's. This looks like a real place where you get real things. How crazy is that? This is a Star Trek themed, just giant store filled with not just, I mean, like you said, uniforms, but also it looks like, Star Trek themed things, right? So you got like hard cosplay and then you've got like baseball jerseys for the 49ers or something back there. You got like Kirk Spock 2024 yard signs. I'd probably go for one of those, honestly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just like, you know, just keep it real. Keep it real easy here. The, the uh, my, my house. Uh, this looks l- fucking dope. Sandusky, Ohio. Federation headquarters. Uh, wow. I might have to make a trip. I've been doing a lot of road trips, but this it, it's crazy, man, because I remember in the land, the world before the Internet, being a young nerd in like elementary school. And my dad took me to a Star Trek convention, not knowing anything that he was getting himself into. And I think ultimately disgusting himself in the process. Right. But there was this world before the Internet, before you could just order shit online and have access to any nerd stuff you wanted. And back then, you either had to find some sort of a local shop or you start dealing with like catalogs. And remember, catalog game was strong back then in Cleveland. We had a place called Starship Earth, and it was mostly like Halloween costumes and shit. But they had a lot of Star Trek stuff, man. I remember going there and it was all trash quality. It was all like that low end rubies stuff oh, sure absolutely right but thinking in my head that like claustrophobic overpacked garage sale of a store versus this lush retail i there's no way this guy goes more than what four months before rent kills him i mean i, I can't mean, imagine this, yeah, can't last that's what i was thinking like better get up there now retail space in a mall is probably still pretty cheap and that's interesting when's the last time you went to a mall well, we do have one very nice mall in Cincinnati. It's called Kenwood. Yeah. And and that's where like all the high-end retailers are and yeah, there is one mall and we I've been there in the last couple months. Not so much in Columbus. Like the malls are still there, but there's been a couple shootings and this and that. Like there's more experience uh storefronts in the mall than there is actual nice retail shopping. There's escape rooms, there's um 
it was actually pretty cool. It was like a uh, uh, space and they just had a bunch of booths. And this kind of gives you an eye into like where the youth is right now. Every booth was like a different zany artistic setup. And you could pay to go in there and just take Instagram selfies in these really creative little booths they made. Like <laughs> all ones like all furry hearts. And one was all, I don't know, ball pit. And one was all airplane. That that was a store in the mall that you could just go to take your picture, your own picture in their little booth. So clearly retail space is pretty cheap. Brick and mortar is getting its ass whooped. I don't imagine that this place in Sandusky is pulling a high premium, but I might have to go up there and I don't know how to do that with the kids. He's got nice shelves. He's got nice lighting. You know, I think he's got a podcast booth in there. So maybe I have to go and shake a fellow nerd's hand or fist fight, whatever is appropriate for our genre. (laughs) If he has a podcast booth in there and it is for rent, I would do an episode there with you. Oh, my goodness. I would do that. I would I I would make that as arrangements immediately. We'd even do like we could even do like a special episode there. First of all, uh, cut this entire segment so he doesn't get the free advertisement. I'll go up. (laughs) I'll barter with him and I'll say, listen, we'll do a podcast from there. I'm going to give you access to somewhere between uh, as many as 200 and and probably about 40 people realistically worth of advertisement. But I need 40 who listen immediately, 200 that get around to it eventually. <laughs> you know, that's, I will give you a, how it goes. I will give you a stranglehold on that Antarctic market. You hear oh, me? Absolutely. We are the number one podcast in at McMurda Station. <laughs> you will have all of the Arctic research people buying their uh, TNG era snuggies from you or whatever I'm seeing on the wall here. Very briefly before we get to the episode, I do want to say I want to convey the story because obviously. The fact that we we were enriched so heartedly by the fact we had an Arctic fan who told us about it, gave us updates and informed us of how he turned all of his compatriots in Antarctica into Vidra police fans. And therefore, we do have a legitimate claim for at one point, the most popular podcast in Antarctica. It's basically the plot of the thing, right? Right. I mean, I monster converting others to monsterhood, right? (laughs) Kind of, you know, more of an impersonation thing, but I think it, it tracks. <laughs> it tracks. I like it. But I have I have repeated that as a, when people ask me about it, about the show, because I have some uh, uh, stickers from the show on my deck box for magic. So it comes up in conversation a lot. Like, what is that? And I explain it's my show. And I say we were the most popular podcast in Antarctica. And then like tell the story of like, no, just one guy showed up and just made everyone listen to it. <laughs> well. There was another place we ranked really high. What was it like? Luxembourg or something? Uh, it was, yeah, what was some Euro trash country? It wasn't um, Liechtenstein. Who, it was who obviously won't be listening to us anymore. No, Belgium. <laughs> it was Belgium. Belgium's not that small. That's, yeah. that's, that's credible. It's uh, incredible. It's incredible nation. It's not like Montenegro. <laughs> Where is that? I don't know. Probably crime happens there. Someone have to do a, fed, uh, a Star Trek field trip up there. We, we just had our own other little Star Trek field trip. I put that other picture up on the trauma support group. Yeah. Of, uh, 1159. And it wasn't Bloomington, but it was windswept hellhole, Indiana. I'm about to make that drive to Chicago. So, you know, well, yeah. we went to the Children's Museum and there was a fair amount. It's that Children's Museum compared to like the Cincinnati one. It's crazy because Cincinnati's like, here's hard science. And the Indianapolis Children's Museum is like, 
here's a bunch of toys and some interactive displays, but like the, the NASA space station exhibit they have is like, here's a space station print wallpaper and some legit like NASA doodads. But then there's a bunch of motherboards glued to the wall <laughs> with the incorrect cables connecting them. And then here's like uh, some computer or something they use on the space station. And hey, look, here's Chris Pine's uh, TOS duty uniform from Into Darkness. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> it's, the what line this? between fantasy and science blurs very easy. But that, you, yeah, you, some... you're also from Columbus, which is like the home of perhaps the most engaging children's museum of all time cosi i got yes one of the best germ fact i don't know if you can hear that i'm sick but after two trips to the germ tank i i did get a cold because i am a human cosi being another great place to get yourself sick by way of children's snotty noses speaking of things that come out of the body (laughs) (laughs) what episode of star trek did we watch this week uh we got into season four Episode 17, Bound, which uh, first aired April 15th, 2005, written by a very horny Manny Cotto, directed Raging by hard on. More, uh, <laughs> horny Alan Croker. Yes. Let's look at Alan Croker's uh, it's needed body of Dawson on it so bad. Oh, my God. Yes. Why? What happened here? How did they fuck that one up? Enterprise, what else has he got? Fight or Flight, Rogue Planet, Shockwave, Canamar, Expanse, Zindi. He doesn't really have a lot of horny episodes. Did he have anything good in Voyager in terms of horny? Listen, this is just a a work of art of horniness that is just a moment of brilliance that came from that it could come from anybody. Um let me say this first. I actually really like this episode for a lot of reasons. I think it's it is the last bottle episode of Berman Era Trek. And I think that it what actually a banger do- to go out on. Yeah, and it, it does the trope super well. And uh, there's there's all kinds of things going on here that I thought were very cleverly done, very subtly done. And I'm going to praise it a lot. But holy shit. Like we they, they decided like, what is the what is where is the line, right? Like, let's actually find it, right? What can we do on network television <laughs> in 2005 and come right up to it, you know? Disagree. I know they were not wearing anything. I don't know how else to put it. Like, no clothes. You know, we. I just listened to our episode where, uh, whatever the one word, they get wrapped up with the big show and that whole Orion episode, right? That was uh, right. part of the augments arc. Part of why this episode's great because it builds on the, a very subtle moment from that, that we've already focused on. Uh, are there women wearing panties and bras doing basically a striptease? Yes. <laughs> that is exactly what happens. Yes. Is this the lowest that Star Trek Enterprise has stooped from a sexually exploitative standpoint? Absolutely not. No. No, not even close. This is all in service to the story, which is why it's great. 
and it's why it works. But I'm saying, like, they were like, we need to make them as sexy as we can make them. Whereas this is going to be a episode about fucking and seduction, and it's going to happen, and we're going to watch. Yeah, but man, it just it hits different. And the way we phrased it during the big show episode is that it's acknowledging continuity, and it's not it, that. That's a thing. It's not shameless. Oh, right? not at all. It is in service to a very interesting story. In my opinion, and I, mean, I think even beyond the story, let's let's just talk straight up the strip tease and the fact these ladies are walking around wearing uh, mesh scarves, bras and panties. I would say that this didn't feel like it stooped as low as Regine, which was still a good episode. Right. Agreed. Yeah. But more to the point, you take all the exploitation done to Jolene Blaylock. And seven and, uh, and you know, um, Jerry Ryan. Right. And or even this, poor Linda like, Park when her sh- shirt accidentally fell off. Right. Like here's like here are sexy women and they're doing sexy stuff. They're bad guys and they're using their powers of sexuality as a weapon to endanger the crew. That's the that's the big spoiler. But in the moment, here's sexy ladies and they're dancing around doing a sexy dance. And this is the Enterprise crew being exposed to a uh, a wild culture versus, hey, here is one of your main characters that you are trying to build as someone who is a self and uh, a self-respecting, empowered woman who is a scientific figure and a command authority. And now we're going to jam them in, jam them into the most slimy, Vaseline lathered, heavy, breathy, touchy feely blue room, you know, jerk off segment and it's it's two completely separate things so yeah on paper maybe they were looking for like how far to the limit can you go but is there anything that happens in this that is at all different than your average episode of Baywatch absolutely not I completely agree actually with where you're going with um, that this is because it's not it's in service of the story and not merely for titillation. It doesn't strike you, uh, me or you as like as um, exploitive. So I think we've we've talked about sexual exploitation, the sexual exploitation award and on Enterprise because of these time honored tradition that we're referring to. I would not put this on the list. I would not put this on the list at all. It is not sexually exploitive. In fact, it is a story about the use of sex as a weapon by a culture that found a way to weaponize it for profit. And we watched them do that, right? Like very cool, very interesting. Uh, I am simply, I'm simply saying just for network television broadcast purposes, this is much more openly, you know, I don't call raunchy, uh, but sexual than an episode of Baywatch. Like, yes, in an episode of Baywatch, you have an attractive women who are in bathing suits doing whatever it is the episode calls for. Right. But this is an episode about, having these girls in as little as possible, having them constantly exuding as much sexual energy as possible on screen to men and fucking them like that. We are, we are, we are coming right up to a line on purpose. It works, but that's what I'm saying is like, that's what they did here. So let me flip everything I just said. Would I have let my six, four or two year old have sat in the room with me while I watch this episode? Probably not. Right. And I think that's that's a a discussion worth uh, having there as well. I would be very curious 
where our female listeners oh, came yeah. in on this one. I'm a very, I'm going to solicit their opinion. Um, I think that this is definitely going to be interesting to hear what they have to say to the degree that they feel, you know, was this an insulting episode? Is this something that really made you roll your eyes? Did you see a greater plot here or was this just a, are you seeing what we're seeing, which is, Oh wow. How, how interesting to see that the Orion, how the Orions seduce and manipulate things, achieve their piracy and criminal aims with a minimum of violent conflict. Because that enhances their profit margin. Yeah, you know, (laughs) I acknowledge that plot and I acknowledge that as a device. I'm saying at its skeeviest, like, okay, I see you're bringing in. I don't know if any of these women are actually strippers. The one actually is uh, a Voyager. Yeah, which I thought was cool. She she was the the hottie from the, the shuttle racing episode. Yeah, which I just posted a picture of those race suits. So that's pertinent. Um, (laughs) But you're bringing in L.A. hotties and they are doing a strip tease in front of the camera. Um, I I acknowledge that it is the show is acknowledging it for what it is. And you're again, you're not degrading. A cast regular or taking somebody who. Has no business having their boobs taped. That's the other thing. And it's not even like, you know, Jolene Blaylock and her boobs pushing Archer's face back in shadows of Pajem. Right. It was just skeevy. You know, it's like there there was nothing to respect. I can respect pretty girls doing a cool dance for face value what it is. I can't respect them shoving Jolene Blaylock's boobs in Archer's face while they're duct taped together or Hoshi's shirt flying off when she fell out of a hole in the ceiling or a lot of the other just shameful shit they've done in the past. So, all right, man. Uh this is an important episode. This is two days after Christmas. This is December 27th, right? <laughs> Christmas came late, but when it it's came, it came hard. <laughs> it's hard for Santa Claus to get that far out into the quadrant. All right. And, uh, you know, he had to make a special trip to give Jonathan Archer what he wanted. Unfortunately, it ends up being trip. Who's the one that gets the head wounds in this one. And Kelby, true. he's going to have to, settle for some other head activities. But yeah, December 27th. (laughs) Nice. Okay. Thank you. Uh, December 27th, they are chilling out doing boring spaceship, which it's been a while. Yeah. I was going to say like what a turn to form of like, I guess we can explore for like an episode before more plot happens. (laughs) Let's try to get it in while we still can. Miraculously, they still seem to have trip around. Engines still aren't fully sorted out. Uh, and they've got a ship coming in on an intercept course. Some interesting diplomacy by Archer here, which still shades of uh, I am not the man I started this TV series as. Oh, yeah. I used to be a smile and a friendly gesture. Now I'm put up the shields and get the weapons trained on these guys. If I might pause for a moment on that very thought, this entire episode feels like a bookend specifically to season one enterprise. Like feel like the intention of this was remember they even invoke broken bow, you know, Mm -hmm. we used to be very naive. We used to say like, we don't want to, you know, train our weapons. We want to make friends. We want to establish communications. And, and this episode is about, ah, something suspicious. 
red alert <laughs> like we uh we must be prepared to defend ourselves with violence immediately on the viewer we do see an orion male that creates the tension they have the standoff they both agree to power down their weapons at the same time and have a discussion and this guy uh who we will find out is named Herod Sar says he is here on business that he wants to extend an invitation to Archer to come dine with him and discuss something that could be beneficial to thawing relations between Earth and the Orion Syndicate. And everyone is very suspicious immediately about this offer. Uh, but Archer and a couple Makos and Reed ultimately do beam over to his ship. Uh, essentially, Archer saying, like, uh, we can't afford to pass on opportunities to create diplomatic relations. We need less hostile species in the galaxy training their attention on Earth. So if this is a shot where I can have a fucking talk with a guy and maybe we work something out. I have to take it, which is, I think, pretty compelling. To make sense after the Zindi attack and after everything with the Andorians and the Tellarites and the Vulcans, it's like we're in a mood where we're trying to calm shit down. We dealt with the, whatever the Romulans were doing. Like, I don't need this shit with the Orions. So if there's an offer on the table, I'm at least going to entertain it. Not to mention bad blood with the Klingons perpetually. Absolutely. Which is this guy done dealing with, you know, buy a weapon to fleet Admiral. <laughs> like, I'm sure he's still not their friend, right? Yeah. That, uh, that general uncle Phil, that that rascal. Uh, what do you think of Herod Sar? I really like him. I think the way he plays the character is a sort of. I don't want to call him like a mobster, but arrogant. Yeah, I've got I got big... rich oil chic off of him, you know, like Saudi Arabian royalty is the vibe. And I liked it. I got. Uh, Gene Simmons off of him. And I think that both of those apply. This guy's got kind of a rock star vibe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a a very arrogant, very powerful, uh, manipulative. Uh, it was a very interesting portrayal for another starship captain that was very unlike what we've seen up to this point. And, you know, the impression that you get as these guys kind of square off is that Enterprise and this Orion vessel are on equal footing. So, yeah, Archer de-escalates the situation with, hey, why don't we both put off our guns? They beam over. And, uh, yeah, uh, once upon a time we used to joke about Chakotay and Janeway beaming down with phasers on their hip to go talk to the president. Here's Archer going over there with special forces dudes. Now, hard called hard for in this is... circumstance, called for. You know, like not the, these are these are people who are presently minimum uh, untrustworthy. <laughs> yeah, these are yellow alert guys for real. Yeah, so bringing some heavies with you, I think, like is within the bounds of acceptable behavior. Also, really cool costume that they've got this guy in. It's kind yeah. of barbaric, but it's also put together well. I am still not a fan of whatever the fuck is going on with Orion males having like hypodermic needles sticking out of their cheek. And this dude has like a whole Herman Munster Frankenstein shit bolted into my skull 
motif going on as well. And I'm trying to remember what they portrayed Orion males as in um, lower decks because they get pretty heavy into it there. But this, uh, hey, my skull is magnetic and I have as many fridge magnets stuck to my head as possible. Not my favorite look. If only there was like someone's trash pickup schedule on there, <laughs> had, like a grocery list. I don't know. So one of his daughter's prized art clipped to the back of his like, head. This was Cassandra's favorite piece. Mm-hmm. This was so, the art competition. Uh, so he brings them on and they are in a very, again, with the sort of Middle Eastern rich oil baron type of vibe. A lot of pillows. Very, very desert crossing. Very desert crossing. Actually, very true. Let me pull up a this guy, this guy could have. This guy could have easily have been the desert crossing guy if he was a little bit more sinister. You know what I mean? Damn, desert crossing wasn't Martin Croker. I'd be like, maybe you got the same guy. No, no, no. That was a that was a real actor. <laughs> so, no, 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 no. The d- directing it, he could have brought his same set guy in. But so you know, here's some some wine it came from the gorn who are they don't worry about that um here here's some food i I, this him bringing up the gorn sparked in my mind all the season one strange new world stuff with the gorn and how fucking good that treatment that that show gave was as much as i hate everything with augments and genetic manipulation that strange new worlds did everything they did with the gorn was just a plus Absolutely, especially season one, because they were just still such a unknown, right? There's just this figment in space and these, you know, there's these monsters, essentially, from the extent that you can even see them. Mm -hmm. And like everything else in season two, they just kind of cocked it up, you know, like didn't do anything with them until literally the finale. Yep. And now, like the idea that you turn them into alien, you know, as a sort of way to create tension with uh, Pike's girlfriend or whatever, like, ugh, oh God, I liked no. it. I thought it was still good. I like the Makos just chilling out while the captain's over there trying to do business. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And the guy and the other guy's got heavies too, you know. So it's mm-hmm. very like protected negotiation. But uh, Hard Sar says no, no. Uh, we can't talk business yet because you have not yet been entertained. And that's when he snaps and in walks in the most impressive hoe train that Star Trek will ever see. It is. Uh, what, I mean, what can it really compare to false prophets? Maybe um, false prophets would be the the most booby that the show was explicitly been in the episodes that we've watched. Um, this is not counting the accidental HD nipples of the, of the, um, uh, uh, Mako from like the beginning of season three. Like oh, that was yeah, unintentional. Mm-hmm. Was um, it though? Joe, was it? So there's like, um, was it Noah Tishby? Was it the Israeli lady who played the Mako that like in the episode when trip and to Paul hooked up, which is going to, I guess be important in a second. I guess like that, but, but nothing, nothing compares to these three. Uh, Navar is the lead of the three sisters. She is also the only Trek veteran amongst the three, as we've noted. Uh, she was in Voyager as the hot rod lady uh, from Drive. And she's also Slash, a surprise. I'm the terrorist. And she was also the first actress to play 
uh, Zial on DS9, which we will cover later. Uh, so she has been around the block a little bit. She's done some episodes, so they give her all of the dialogue. How do you feel about her? This is played by uh, Sia Batten. How do you feel about her IMDb entry being the Orion slave girl? <laughs> I think that that is probably the most striking thing she ever did. Fair enough. That is the thing that probably the most people have seen. So if you're going to brag about your career, everyone will be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. So the- Yeah, where can I watch that episode again? Where's that streaming? The, the ladies provide Archer and Reed with, as you noted, a striptease. Straight up striptease for the three of them. It's done to a very low rent synth backbeat. With the freshest Spice Girl dance sequence moves that network television could afford the choreography for. Very impressive. And uh, I think executed pretty well. Like, they're they're ready for a VH1 music video backup dancer set. Evidently one of the other two uh, is a professional dancer. So I presume that's where the choreography may have come from. Uh, not that's a detail I'd love to see in the memory alpha. Unfortunately, that's not there. Well, you know what? Put it on the list to ask Manny Cotto about when we summon his ghost. I'm sh- I'm, there's a lot of questions I'd like to ask Manny Cotto's Man- <laughs> <a casting laughs> process for the Orion slave girls. Did you already have the dance ready and everybody had to just perform it in a bikini or what? What went into that exactly? Or did uh, Rick handle that one personally? Yeah. <laughs> As his executive producer material, not showrunner <laughs> material, is casting mm. these roles. Mm. Uh, so that is, they're they're selling it from the start, man. They are the H O T hot, and they are here to tempt Archer, and it is made clear. And it is the lead sister Navarre who is the one who is very much zeroing in on Archer. The dance ends; they are excused. Business is apparently uh, spoken after that, and we cut hard cut back to Enterprise after this of Archer being like, good news, we've made a deal. So behind the scenes, and let's just jump ahead, spoiler alert, there's something about the Orion women that their pheromones are able to um, enchant men and uh, cause headaches and, and fatigue on women. So, you know, not they aren't just a gift. Them coming out before the negotiations is basically Archer being pre-treated to this pheromone regimen and making him extremely malleable to agree to uh, the plot for the rest of the episode. Yeah, it's he was drugged. The whole ship is being essentially ultimately going to be drugged. And the the most interesting part of this episode is taking a step back and observing the con. So everything that hard Sara set up here to create a, a sense of his leadership and the use of these women as entertainment and possessions. He makes a real point going behind Archer whispering in his ear about them, you know, essentially saying like they are prostitutes, they will fuck you, you know, all of that, uh, through implication. And, then they leave and suddenly you have much more subjectable people who went to negotiate. And the intention of course, is then as we are conveyed in the next scene to put your agents on the vessel 
to continue the con. Um, they do a great job throughout the entire episode of showing how the Orion ladies are masters of their craft, right? Of getting men under their spell, uh, to what to say to men to get them to do what they want, how to seduce them successfully, even ones who are actively tempting to resist, you know, the chemical element of it. Like there's still a soft skill and we see it on display and it's, the the payoff to that ultimately being when they're in the decon chamber and he's having that extended conversation with them and they're kind of busted now and they're being much more confrontational about it is just excellent. A lot of opportunities in this episode to take a step back and say, let's let's use the common sense uh, angle on how to work this. Like this dude could have had Archer dead to rights right there on his ship. They could have ensorcelled him hard enough that Archer would be like, listen, I'm doing extreme diplomacy here, and uh, we're actually going to go back to Orion. Uh, everything's fine. I, you know, I, I want to nip this thing in the bud. We're just going to go now. It's me and Reed. I got two Makos. We'll be fine. <laughs> Never mind the fact we're about to get effed into comas over here, right? <laughs> There's the common sense. Way to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's the common sense thread where, like, uh, you know, once the jig is kind of up, it's ridiculous that T'Pol isn't just handed command of the vessel or trip, since both of them seem to be resilient to all this stuff, that at no point do they say, hey, listen, these ladies and whatever stank they're pumping out here is bad news for the crew. Put their asses in a shuttle, turn the shuttle off and hit it with the tow cable and they can, like, float behind in a little dinghy. <laughs> While we run the the air purifiers like hardcore over here, get the horny out of here. <laughs> like, what have we got to do? <laughs> Smells like bleach in here. Clean the whole thing. I do like the the note that the Ferrano not just make the men subjectable and aggressive and you know horny, but make the women docile. That was like a whole point of like making them listless, not like able to engage with what's going on, which is just an excellent way to portray it as a sort of like dominance move, right? Like we're such powerful women. We not only enchant the men, we, we, we force out their own women, you know, we make them not be able to do anything. What I need to see is a pheromone battle between Orion women and uh, the Zindi bug clusters. Like who's who's weird goo that makes you do things <laughs> is better. Hey, you know what, go ahead. <laughs> I think we go know ahead which and one's throw better. Doc in there while you're at it too, since we're just being skeevy now. And and the way that they portray that that element is basically through Hoshi, right? Like she's just kind of pissed that like chicks show up and everyone's drooling over them, and Flox calls her out like you're just jealous. <laughs> you're just mm-hmm. jealous that no one f- drools over you. And Hoshi's just like, and you're just a crusty old dude who uh, is afraid of boobs yourself and too busy over there sweating. Uh, Doctor jumped to conclusions, Matt, to have any time to care about these green hotties that just came on board. So it's part of the deal being made. He explains it to T'Pol, and that is where we get to kind of the B plot of the episode, which is. I love her indignation, too, where she's just like you agreed to all this shit without any consult. Who who came up with this plan? 
you and some fucking Makos while you're at the strip club over there. <laughs> I like to when they finish their little dance on uh, the vessel, there's a round of applause. Like I'm like, are the Makos clapping? Is that professional for these dudes to be clapping? Because like Reed's certainly enthralled. Also, too. Does enterprise security just not exist anymore? I get it. if you can have a guy with red piping on his shoulders or Mako fatigues guy, Mako fatigues guy certainly has a better screen presence. But like there is nothing that you really see out of enterprise security. This yeah, entire they just replace them with Makos, which it is does not appear. the wrong call. No, not at all. If, as long as they didn't get the level one ones, they left all their level 10 <laughs> ones back at base. They left all the level 10 ones on the floor of the Death Star. It's true. They got knocked off all of the different. I think they actually got blown up. There's there's no uh, remains to have there. So uh, to Paul and Trip are the B plot. And I think it's I think it's an excellent way to sort of get their relationship back together, like right under the gun. Right. Because there's only two episodes of actual Enterprise left. Sad to say. Very because sad. The, the next two are the mirror universe episodes, which are just a complete separate continuity. And then there's two more episodes of enterprise and then it's over. And then there's a finale, which exists, but not, is not real. So this is it. Like if we're going to put these two back together, we have to, and it works. It works really well. Uh, and in particular to Paul is very much in like, becoming more like Spock in this episode up to and including ending the episode with a joke, something that I thought was incredibly funny upon this being like going on this journey of rewatching it with you and seeing her character arc to see like that. She actually cracks wise twice and everyone's like, I'm sorry, what the fuck did we just see and actually respond to it? Like the Holy shit. <laughs> like, what is this? Who are you? And it's true. She has changed. She's changed a lot. And you see this a lot in the episode with how she's interacting with Trip and like kind of trying to feel through if he'll stay or not before the plot happens and the plot happens and they're the only ones who aren't affected, like you said, so they got to figure it out. And it kind of leads to the culmination. And it starts here where she's like, like you said, just indignant. Like, I assumed you were calling me for advice. Sitting in yield dinner potty, which we haven't seen in quite some time, being like, you're going to bring me into your office, make me sit where you eat dinner while you're shitting. And you're going to tell me you've made all these high level decisions over in the green girl strip club. And now you want my input on what? Where to stick your slaves? (laughs) Also, I don't think you're even really supposed to have these. So you might want to address that at some point. Yeah. So Uh, let's go through the trip into Paul stuff real quick. Yeah. We've had some telepathic shared white space matrix loading screens, right? Only instead of asking for guns, uh, they're just doing casual flirting. We know there's a psychic connection between them now. She never mind melded with him. So this is purely just from the sex, right? Correct. Have we seen this in any other media that there is a psychic bond that can be formed between human Vulcan Humping. They are the first human Vulcan couple to, you know, really be on screen for an extended period. The only other human Vulcan couple we know of that exists is Sarah and Amanda, and we don't really get to see them very often. I mean, short of whatever Vork had going on with 
Torres, which I don't think really went any further than fist fighting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's uh, that's about it. So that's a that that's a pretty big blind spot that you're welcome to explore at your own pace and do what you want. And and that's what enterprises do with it. So they've got this little daydream buddy connection going. And there's a lot of this. Well, I guess I'm going back. Well, don't you still need to do repairs? Do you want me to stay? Are you thinking about just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, which by the end culminates into to Paul breaking down and saying, Trip, I want you to stay here. But through the episode, we will find out that part of the shared connection they have is a Vulcans are immune to whatever the Orions are doing chemically, which I believe she attributes to Vulcan physiology. And I think that's a weak link to say that Trip was immune to all that because of a psychic link. I'd much more buy our logic structure and our emotional suppression as a as a vibe being shared with him through that. Yeah. I mean, Vulc- Vulcans are famously quite, you know, sexually restrained, right? So like, this is just not an impulse that imp- impacts them. And also, you know, to Paul, I mean, lady, she wasn't going to be affected by like being aggressive. She would have been affected by being listless. And yeah, it's probably an easier thing to sort of slough off. It would be interesting to see what would have happened if like Tuvok was there. Uh, they would have hacked all the security systems and that door to the decon chamber would have never been locked in the first place. Okay. That's, accurate. All correct. Yes. That's what yeah, would have happened. True. Yeah. Um, Literally would have thrown every door lock off the ship through an airlock immediately, which would not. These have are against locked. regulation. How dare we lock? Also, any cameras, security cameras gone. Also, uh, they would have taken club Tuvok and turned that into the new strip club base of operations. I like to Paul the idea that it's her logic and her mental fortitude and discipline, really, that it's her discipline, self-discipline that protected her from the pheromones. And therefore, that could be transferred by a psychic link to kind of play off at the end that joke you're talking about that she makes. uh, Because my takeaway from that was that she made that joke because she's got trip on her brain and that they're sharing each other's traits bi-directionally. She's getting a bad sense of humor from trip. He's getting pheromone blocking self-discipline and that they're basically turning into the wonder twins. I think there is an element of that because it is called out basically in dialogue, but I think it's less trip. Exactly. It's tripped partially, but it's also like, you know, she's had to become what more comfortable with emotion because of smoking the crack rock. Yeah. So what does that mean? It means there's an open door through which these things that she's in here, you know, getting from trip can walk through. Right. So I think it's a combination of the two, but yeah. And I just love when they end their conflict, she starts to pout because trips, not, going to let her get away with not saying that she wants him. And she knows that she knows that in that moment. And that's why she pouts. She's like, ah, I'm going to have to tell you and you're going to make me. So he starts to walk away and he finally, she finally goes, I want you to stay. And it's not enough. Trip wants more, right? Trip knows there's more starts walking away. And that's when she just rolls right over and 
and and just kisses him like she means it for a second. And Trip, having gotten what he wanted, says, "Nah, don't worry. I just transferred back three days ago. I'm still a dick. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's good. It works perfect. I love the way that Connor Trenier and Jolene Blaylock have chosen to play this. They have good chemistry together, and it shows. Going back to that joke she tells at the end, too. Two jokes. A self-admission, I think, also, that she she wants these forbidden things. She wants to interact with the humans. She's happy. You know, she's this giant weight has been lifted off her shoulders. Her crush is moving back on the ship for her. They're dropping this act and they are embracing the relationship. I think she's just in a good mood and, you know, letting the guard down and just being one of the boys. And that's kind of been an ongoing plot point for T'Pol is integrate with the crew, go to the movie nights. Don't be afraid to tell a joke every now and then and like try to fit in. I I think it's again, another perfect bookend of broken bow where, you know, it's Paul. refused to even like interact with anybody. Right. Wouldn't shake trips hand, um, you know, just disinterested in maintaining the assignment for any longer than she had to. Mm -hmm. And it's, this is her saying in, in incredibly like a perfect way. I am accepting this place and you people as my people and that we, I, whatever I am here is greater than my job. This is my calling. This is my family. And I'm going to treat it that way. And I think that was perfect to do it like that in this episode before they get into the big finale. So that's that plot line. Uh, the church, the C plot, is that there is resistance on the ship to trip coming back. And that's going to take the form of uh, Lieutenant Kelby, who has been left behind as the chief engineer in trips absence, who is not very good at his job, who knows that he's not good enough at his job and who is very afraid that trip is going to do exactly what he's doing, which is take his old job back and get this guy demoted back to whatever he was doing previously, which kind of a, Dick move on Tripp's behalf, especially since he said he put that transfer order in three days ago and he's been telling this Kelby guy, no, I'm not taking your job back. Like, and I just get does. lying to your girlfriend, but lying to a guy who you're about to get him. But hey, I'm leaving. You're in charge now. Good luck, man. Handy, hearty handshake. Oh, actually, I'm back to do your job for you. Actually, no, I'm just back for good. Like, just... Bro points off big time for uh, for trip and continually reassuring him through this. No, I'm not coming back. The job's yours, man. Trust me. Do you blame Kelby for falling into the arms of a green seductress who willing to listen to your sap story? Oh, yeah. Like I justice for Kelby. Okay, (laughs) I feel like Kelby is kind of being wronged here. He's given the job, but then like, you know, like he said, he can't let it go kind of wants to come back. You know, he wants to come back. Then what's going to happen to your promotion, right? Because he's got commander pips on, but right now he's lieutenant, I guess, because like he's not the chief engineer and it's, it's, it sucks to be him. And he kind of also jobbed for no reason. He also just sucks in general. I would say justice for Kelly, but <laughs> the guy portraying him is not a great actor. In fact, he's so bad. He puts off like 
cameo guest star vibes. Yeah. Is this guy someone? I, is this a member of Limp Biscuit or some other '90s nonsense that I should know <laughs> about here? Where's Bound Kelby? Derek Magyar. Magyar, yeah. Uh, Commander Kelby and Ensign. How, why, why are these two separate characters? Well, no, there's Mirror Universe Kelby. Oh, well, I don't want to click on that. Yeah. Someone's going to get shanked. All the time. I don't know. He's kind of got killer vibes. Maybe he'll be the, the person planting a dagger in someone else's. I can't read this article. I got to shut this down. So let us continue on. And that is with the main plot. And there's not too much to talk about because it's the same thing we've already described. It just continues to happen. The ladies continue to manipulate different people on the ship. We hear about it sometimes. Sometimes we see it. As Some people let it happen and revel in it. Some people are fighters. Right. Like they Kelby, use their Kelby's muscles. very happy to get the attention because we've already established he is being very, very put out by Tucker's presence. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, Archer who tries to resist it, tries to do the right thing, tells them they're not slaves, plays it straight, but is just powerless before a master of the craft and eventually does in fact bang the green lady uh, listen you know if this was his first rodeo i'd i'd cut that slack but man after regime just, how do you not know this is what's gonna happen bro <laughs> oh sexy lady wants to get close and like soft talk and touch my face and tell me how much she respects me for deslaving her I'm sorry, what happened with uh, Regine? Oh, she ninja kicked everybody and jumped off the platforms and shot engineering up and like ran hot dick all over your ship. Like at least Archer got laid this time. <laughs> like that's the consolation prize for him here. It's like, at least I did actually get laid by the aliens who are trying to kill me. <laughs> that was always my biggest regret about Regine. She oh, like, shot I didn't get the, the bag, Regine. Regine just left <laughs> like blue balled. I always thought maybe had I just actually slept with her, she wouldn't have had time to uh, go rape to Paul and shoot the ship up and give all my secrets to the lizard people. I do love how Navarre ultimately does successfully seduce him because he she he resists at first, resists, resists. She changes tactics, sits down, like says, oh, I don't know what else to do. He gets more comfortable having like felt like he has resisted her. But then he like lowers his guard and it just gives her the opening when he sits down next to her, like put his her hand on his leg. Talk about like, I know you don't own me, but what if I wanted to fuck you anyway? And it just pierces through the armor and he is done. I assume with all of the contact that some part of the Sarayan pheromone delivery system, it's like a tears for Sears song. It's, you know, it's a system of touch. Because there's excessive amount of like touching to the mouth, uh, the arm, the neck, whatever. Like, and the more the physical touch is happening, the more the spell seems to be cast. Anyways, then we can talk about the people who are the born fighters that can resist. And I'm talking, of course, about Travis Mayweather. The greatest Travis Mayweather content of the season so far. We learned so much about our boy Travis, the monster, the coiled obsidian death machine. And it is because when he is confronted 
by species who are attempting to give him the horny ray, he goes to the gym. He lifts like, weights. I might not be able to beat their ass, but I can fucking bench press. And one way or another, <laughs> I can buy some curl like a motherfucker. I'm going to beat these bitches at their game, and I'm just going to bench press the boner away. All right. That's how I roll. I loved his story of like the Delshin woman, which is like the callback to the motion picture. Mm-hmm. And just like I was 15. <laughs> I was just hormones anyway. Right. <laughs> I like, was out of control. And then a bunch of, of women who literally have to swear oaths of celibacy to be in Starfleet that they give off such fuck vibes to everyone around them showed up on our ship. So all I could do was sit in the basement doing setups the entire time they're there. I would like to rewrite that scene where instead of you know him learning how to do uh skull crushers he actually effed one of them to death and that is his <laughs> that's his tragic backstory is that he has had to live with the uh accidental murder of one of these women and lie about it on his st- just really open up to read in a way that reed's not ready for they're like <laughs> i'm telling you all this stuff because uh you know, you were just in the brig and you're basically a traitor and your word's not worth shit anymore on this ship. Also, if you do tell the captain, I'll kill you too. Maybe I'll F you to death as well, but I I, I can't kill by fucking anymore, so I'm just doing bicep curls now. So Navarre bangs Archer as they arrive at the planet. He staggers upstairs after I'm sure um just having the time of his life. Archer's like fugue state makes it. So he almost blows up a science ship while he's there. So I guess it's showing his impaired judgment is how he's like staggering around. Just like it's like a post sex haze that like is, is combined with being drunk, I guess. I don't understand what happened here. Exactly. The, Orion's gave them the, uh, lay, the the coordinates to a mineral-rich planet that they want Starfleet to mine. And then they'll take a cut, yeah. And then they show up, and then there's already a ship there which just starts attacking Enterprise unprovoked. At first, I was like, are they trying to like get Enterprise to get into a war with new people? It turns out that's just a bystander throwaway ship that is only there to really express how impaired Archer's judgment is. They're shooting with like tickle rays or silly string or something. They're like, oh, Reed's like, they'll never be able to pet for the first time ever. We've encountered somebody so worse off to us that like our polarized hull plating actually is like effective. And then Archer's like, lock on face cannons and blow them up. And everybody's like, whoa, cowboy, like, I don't know about that. And he starts getting gruff. And then Reed, in the most ballsiest of brazen maneuvers, is like, no. And I'm like, hold on, buddy. Let me let me jump back previous episode and see when uh, that Klingon arc ended up here. And installment three, which was what? Divergence? Mm-hmm. In-universe date is early December. This is December 27th. These are two radical acts of insubordination bordering on mutiny in one month, sir. 
I figured it was going to be to Paul, like belay that order, Captain. I'm relieving you of command on medical concerns. Yeah, it's re- just re- re- read. You're already in the no-no house for having <laughs> committed a generally, you know, just bad act overall and periled the ship. Like what a lot got it? forgiven there, pal. Treason. Yeah. I mean, you've had these Makos used against you very recently. But uh, Archer ends up being pretty cool with it overall. Again, ridiculous as they discover what's going on, which happens pretty quickly after this. That, oh, we're all being drugged. Uh, Phlox is being induced into his sleepy time state. Like, shit's wrong. Like, put somebody who is level-headed in charge. Put these women. The decon chamber is not bad. Having men in the room with them, questionable. I know there's female Makos. Yeah, you would think you would be employing even the one that could, the tonfa lady that keeps getting your ass kicked would be a better choice than dudes. Or just lock him away and shut the fucking door. You don't need guards with an eye contact sweating lustfully at them. Like, uh, I thought that elves have like really high spot rolls, yet T'Pol just botches all of them as she notices that she is unable to notice any of the men with raging boners staring lustfully ready to please these women as they I'm air quoting here, guard their chambers. Like, come on dudes. Or like I said, just put them in a shuttle and tome behind. It really ends up kicking off when the one named Dinesh apparently finds Kelby's quarters and bangs him. And he's lying in bed and he's complaining about his life. And of course, you know, she manipulates that very easily, very effectively. Saying like, I'm sorry, I'm I'm not going to be with somebody that isn't willing to go out and get shit done and, you know, seals the deal by going back for more. And sure enough, the next scene, Kelby's in engineering trying to blow the ship up. (laughs) Bro, the pussy ain't ain't worth it. (laughs) Ships before hose, bro. Ships before hose. Don't do it. Apparently it was worth it. Was not worth going in there. Just, you know, pulling a seven and nine and active shooting all of engineering up fortunately trip is there to level some serious track fighting and lay kelby out into unconsciousness and prevent the ship from blowing up but it does cause the warp core to go offline and that when they have him tied to the gurney is when flocks in his fugue state is able to deliver the exposition that we've already covered trips immune everyone else is affected it's the girl's fault they put her in the decon chamber through the decon chamber we get a great scene We've covered already, like, why are the Makos guarding it? But Archer trying to get information, but is still overwhelmed by what has happened. And I think very interestingly, having uh, Navarre essentially, like, copping to what's going on and still just trying to openly manipulate him and being very nearly successful. It really makes the the turn for them and, and how they're the ones that are really manipulating the situation more obvious. and that they're ultimately in charge, which is what happens when uh, the Orions show back up. So the ship shows back up hard stars. There basically just takes a bunch of pot shots at it to disable the weapons and then hits it with a tow cable. And as he's having a villainous monologue with Archer, he reveals, yes, actually I'm also enslaved in this circumstance. I think you've figured out that our ladies, they're the ones who are actually in charge. They, this is a matriarchal society, and they just happen to be, you know, WMDs for men. So they, mm-hmm. they're, they're in charge. It's the way it is. 
the women get out of the cell. They come up to manipulate Archer's face. Berman era Trek happens where it's everybody gets shot on that bridge by a Starfleet phaser in a Starfleet hand, minus the women actively trying to enslave your ship and, and drag you to justice. Like Trip shows up, goes, the jig is up. I'm going to shoot Reed. I'm going to shoot Archer. I'm not going to shoot any of the three women trying to drag us to our doom. Interesting judgment here. And then he's going to say, hey, uh, I'm going to bring you all to justice. Get on this elevator with me. So it's 3v1 in very close quarters. I sure hope that being the crafty leader people of your race, none of you took any like ninjutsu classes and I don't get like Captain America in this. <laughs> it's like you guys aren't terrible. secretly strong, right? Like you're not one of those races. <laughs> like they don't really Fox know. Just really strong. There's there's three of you and there's one of me. And I already got my ass kicked earlier this episode. Like to Paul doesn't even go in there with like, let me just even the odds or at least make sure my new boyfriend doesn't like, you know. Do stuff. Psychic connection might fail. Yeah. I just feel bad. It's like to, to Paul. Hoshi, do you guys not have guns? <laughs> Are there no guns at your station? Like the Zindi thing. You didn't, slush, you know, strap some gawk locks there. Like you could have just like wheeled around and taken care of this problem. <laughs> Hoshi walks into the sick bay. Eh, I got a headache. That's her contribution to this fucking episode is to whine about a headache. Yeah. We just watched her kick the shit out of the Ratiki Farians or whatever the fuck they were working for the Klingons, right? Mm -hmm. We've just been introduced. Apparently, she's a ninja master. Can we not give her the agency in this where she's like, no fucking way? And she guns everybody on the bridge down, including the women, or goes up and kicks somebody in the face and like has some sort of like female empowerment moment. Or or Paul who's standing right there. You could have used Hoshi as a way to convey how the pheromones affect women more, you know, like we got a great view of how it affects men. We really didn't get too much of a view except through Phylox's dialogue of how it affects women. So like Hoshi kind of like becoming a wilting violet and being just like unable to assert herself and just kind of sitting there and being doing what she's told. And like, yes, ma'am, I'm sorry. Like if it was something like that, okay. Like it tells the story of why she can't resist them. But instead she seems like fully in command of her faculties. Like, all right, bang, 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 bang. Everyone yeah, or down just now. Like, hey, uh, no, those are my men. Here's, here's another reaction I'm having where uh, I'm not, going to roll over and I feel jealous and threatened and I'm going to shoot you with my space gun. Just zero use of those characters. It real bad light for both Hoshi and for T'Pol. And it's stupid that it has to be trip coming up there to white knight, especially since trip is no more in command of his faculties than T'Pol, which is where he's getting his powers from. T'Pol should have been in command the whole time. T'Pol should have relieved Archer. The second he tried firing on that science vessel, to Paul should have capped everybody on that bridge with her space phaser. And I understand wanting to bring Tucker in at some point to demonstrate that he is in fact resistant to them and that make that an important plot point. But like here at the very end is like you said, it's just like, okay, like why isn't Paul doing this? Exactly. Correct. You're exactly correct in the end. Yep. Bad but ending. It, it doesn't take away too much 
to the episode for me because the actual ending when they're talking and doing the joke and ending, you know, the wrapping up the Paul trip romance. I think that that was really excellent. And for the most part, I really liked what this episode tried to do and adding continuity. It was a, it was a great final bottle episode of Star Trek. It was uh, no real complaints going out of it. And again, for being a sexy strip club episode, uh, I think it's a pretty solid story. Uh, okay, here's what I'm waiting for. A long oh, time yes. ago. Oh, yes. Season four, episode 18, Amir Darkly in the Mirror Universe, Commander Archer mutinies against. I'm not even going to read this fucking thing. I, I, I want this. I want to go in fresh. All right. Awesome. Uh, we've got a special treat, in fact, for everybody when we this episode fires off. Do we? Did you get it? Well, no, I figured you were getting it. <laughs> we better make some phone calls. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to Vija, please. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>